welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Over 130 people die each day after overdosing on opioids in America. The abuse of and addiction to opioids is a national crisis that has touched the lives of more families than any other in our history. But today, more families are finding the courage to speak out in support of prevention and recovery than ever before. But that hasn't always been the case. Ten years ago, speaking out about a family member's struggles with addiction was almost unheard of. We'll talk to a school counselor from Texas who did just that. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. Beginning ten years ago, Dr. Kendall Young's life took a dramatic turn both personally and professionally. In this podcast, the Tyvee High School counselor from Kerrville, Texas, joins us to share how her life changed in an instant when she learned a former student of hers lost their life in a deadly confrontation with a police officer in 2009. Next, still reeling from the loss of a former student, she learned her son was battling addiction himself. That day was a pivot point in her life, and today she's an outspoken advocate for substance abuse prevention and addiction recovery. It's my pleasure to introduce Tyvee High School counselor from Kerrville, Texas, Dr. Kendall Young. So, Dr. Young, welcome. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to speak with you and learn from, from all that you're teaching us. So you've really been personally impacted. Uh, Actually, you've been impacted both personally and professionally by the opioid epidemic. I want to start with how your life was touched in your role as a counselor at Tybee High School. Sure. It it has definitely um, been impacted both professionally and personally. And I think that it really started when I feel like I was kind of asleep at the wheel uh, when we kind of go through our life and we have our our schedules and our professions and our careers and our family and we think that we're doing it correctly and we're, you know, we're trying our best. Um, and then all of a sudden tragedy hits and it really makes you rethink what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so in, you know, having a a family of three boys and my husband's a coach and I'm a counselor and we're kind of moving up that ladder and everything's going well. And then all of a sudden I got a call one morning in September of 2009 um, asking me about one of my previous students. And I had known him very well, of course, because I had had him since he was in elementary school and just saying, uh, do you know Mario? And of course, I do. And I thought, why are you calling me at seven something in the morning and, and asking me this? And then hearing the tragic news that he'd been killed. Um, and it was a suicide by cop, really 
situation. On Thursday, October 1st, 2009, a story in the San Antonio newspaper read, Kerrville police say murder suspect called them. Deadly confrontation with police began with 911 call by a man suspected of killing his girlfriend minutes earlier. Kerrville police have determined that Mario Ramirez made the 911 call that summoned officers to the confrontation where he was fatally shot by officers who reported he pointed a gun at them on September 28th. As, as it unfolded, he ended up um, shooting his, his girlfriend, which was the mother of his child, and then taking uh, his baby to his mom and then calling the police on himself. And there's just so many things that happened before that that, um, you know, it could have been avoided. And that is one of my biggest regrets, um, walking down that aisle of the funeral and, and approaching his mom and just um, just tears flowing down my face is saying, I wish I had done more because that child had such promise. And so from that point forward, professionally, that is when I changed what I was doing as a counselor. So let's go forward. You made a conscious decision at that point in time to kind of change the way that you approached this issue professionally. Yes. What happened? I did. Um, No more would I be silent about what I saw our students doing or trying or, um, you know, I, I knew that our prevention efforts needed to be bolstered. Um, and plus I saw the way that those two families came together after tragedy. And I think that sparked me to learn to take a positive approach to negative things that happen in your life. Tell us about uh, that. Tell us about those two they families came, and what they did. Sure. They, they had a baby together. And so the baby was left uh, without parents. And the two moms um, decided that instead of what an, a normal natural reaction would be of blaming and just the pain that they must have been going through, yeah. um, they came together instead and they, they have joint custody of, um, of him. And, and then the sister was still with me in school and she had such promise and I was just destined. I, it was just uh, so important for me to pour into her because she was very strong um, and she knew what her brother's expectations of her were for her future. And she wasn't going to let down his memory. And then I saw his friends rally and, you know, and, and they're ones that may not have been going down the right road at, at some point in their life, but they have sent. Um, if you look at their lives right now, are pretty much in order. They're definitely not the path that they they were on. So a lot of positive came out of a, a horrible situation and just propelled me to, to be positive. And with his sister, um, I was lucky enough to attend her graduation. I helped her get into college um, and she finished and I went to her graduation on December 2015 and it's one of the best best days of my life. How are you a better counselor today than you were back in 2009? Um, 
I hope I'm a better counselor, but I definitely know that I talk about the difficult things with with my students any chance I get when when they approach me or I see something um, and and we have these conversations because if they don't have it with somebody who has the knowledge background, they're going to have it with their peers and they're going to get the wrong information. So I'm not scared to say, hey, I know you're smoking weed. Um, so why are, why, let's get to the root of why we're doing that and how, you know, how that's going to affect your life and what, what might we do different? What might you do differently? In those ages, their peer group is their higher authority. How are you able to get through to them? So I think it's important to meet, meet them where they are and um, try to speak their language, find out where they're coming from. It's important to know what they deal with on a daily basis and just cultivate those relationships. Um, so, you know, I'm often out in the halls, always talking to students, um, asking other students about other students, not to, to get them in trouble or anything like that. It's just um, when students talk to me, they know that I have a genuine care and concern for their future. And it, it just brings me no greater joy than to see them succeed. So whatever it is that I need to do to help them succeed, that's what I do. And I know you bring a great deal of empathy to work with you every single day because of the struggles over the course of the last more than 10 years with your son. Speak to that. So I used to be one of uh, those parents that felt like, oh, it's never going to happen to my family. Um, you know, it's the other parents whose kids have the problem. And really, I better tell them about it so that they don't go off track. And so my phrase forever now is, if you live in a glass house, then you can't throw stones. <laughs> so, um, so I quickly was humbled and thankful for being humbled. Um, when my older son, we took in a student his junior year um, who was from a, a rough neighborhood and brought him into our home. And by no, not his fault, but my son was introduced to a lot of, of things that otherwise he wouldn't maybe have been introduced at that deep of a level. So smoking marijuana, how to deal drugs. Um, how to deal. Criminal act. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The whole business of it. And Mario actually was um, involved in that. And, you know, I, I look at my kids who do that now and I tell them, if you can do that, then you can go into real business because you're marketing and you're transporting and you're advertising and you're doing money management and just try to help them see the parallels in that. But, but my son started, you know, that was the first thing smoking weed. And he has one of those brains that when you turn it on, it's on and you can't turn it off. And so we have battled with uh, substance use disorder for, you know, since, 2008 probably so um so it's it's been a long battle and it it's still one that we fight daily and he's been in and out of uh rehab many many times and you've helped him with that and i'll bet you've learned a heck of a lot along the way also yes so initially you know 
we were embarrassed and we thought, why, why my child? Um, and then, you know, you try to cover up for a long time. Um, but then you come to the realization that that doesn't help. And then, um, like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, uh, that you isolate. So as a parent, I felt very alone, didn't know what to do, who to go to for treatment. I was even Googling, you know, how to help my addicted child. Um, And then coming up with resources that you don't know whether they're genuine or not. And then later on finding out these are the people that just want your money and are not truly going to try to help your child. And then these are the people who are in it to help your child. And, and that came with years of sending in to California, sending in, you know, to different ones, a nice one, a really not nice one. It wasn't until just a few years ago that I really started taking my time to go research, go to conferences, um, talk to other people who are doing well. Um, and then, you know, there, I had the helicopter and the enabler and all of those labels on myself. <laughs> and it's just been years of, of trying to, you know, realize that it's a family disease. It is not just him. If you could name maybe three pointers for people out there on how they would be able to decipher a good rehab from a bad rehab from your experience, what would those things be? Not just going off of um, the first good thing that that sounds good. There's plenty of uh, resources in place where you where they have lists of different services or facilities or things like that with reviews. I mean, that is huge is to see, see the reviews yeah. um, and to look at that. Tell us more about your son. How's he doing today? Well, today is a kind of a sketchy day. <laughs> um, he just completed his 10th rehab, um, a really excellent program. Um, he was fortunate he asked for the help and uh, one of his prior treatment facility providers, a, a young man that worked there, helped him get help. Um, and so it's been a 30-day program, but he is one of those that needs more than a 30-day, a 60-day, or a 90-day program. Um, and so right now he's, I think, in his 45th day of sobriety, which is wonderful. But he's uh, just struggling right now with his program today. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a good day because he's not using. Okay. He is one of those, those children that if he is not working a program and bought into a life of sobriety, then he will relapse so quickly and move to something so dangerous that, that we will lose him. Well, I believe that, you know, what I've learned is, in most cases, that is the reality of it. And, and as much as we can kid ourselves, um, and, and again, now I'm, I'm uh, talking from personal experience here and just thinking mm-hmm. back on, you know, when Sam was struggling with this, um, mm-hmm. you know, his, uh, when he was doing great on the surface, when everything appeared to be just perfect in his life, better than it had ever been. 
um, the things that I, uh, I heard everything that I wanted to hear, but I didn't hear the things that I should have heard, if that makes sense. And the things that I really should have heard, mm-hmm. I heard about the great job. I heard about, you know, everything that was working in his life. But the things that I really didn't pay attention to are the fact that he's not going to meetings. He doesn't have a sponsor. He's not connected to a whole group of people that are in recovery and peers that are really have the capacity to support one another. And they have this shared life's experiences. All of those things that were really, at the end of the day, the most important things, I completely missed those. I don't know if he's talking to manipulate or talking to express his feelings. And so it kind of makes you as a parent, me as a parent, just kind of wonder if I'm doing the right thing. Now, because I went to Annapolis, Maryland last week and saw all of that they were doing, now I have a resource to be able to call um you know, angel over there and say, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Mm. Um, You know this better than anything. What's really going on here? (laughs) And to, you know, to be able to bounce things off of, of other people who've been there, done that, that I would run an event each month and then collaborate with other facing addiction communities um, throughout the United States and Annapolis. They are a year ahead of us. And so, and they're doing great things. And I wanted to go see what are you doing and how are you doing it? And they have an incredible wraparound services. And they are just, they're literally wrapping their arms around those who are struggling and finding a place to plug them in to help them. Well, actually, it starts with the prevention in the school. So they are offering education and programs. They have an incredible haunted house at one of their high schools that they do. And the haunted house is all geared towards addiction uh, because it is. It Tell is me about a, that. A nightmare. How do, yeah. How do they have that geared towards addiction? That's very unique. So it's like a haunted house and you go in and maybe in one room, there's somebody actually laying in a coffin and there's the sister reading um, the obituary and just, you know, talking about how she lost her brother. But then once somebody gets into that and maybe they're homeless or maybe they're on the streets and they're using, um, they have an organization through their police department or fire department called Safe Stations that actually learned about it through you um, when you had a guest on there. And so I met with Steve Thomas and he had actually gone to the White House and met with um, Vice President Pence last week when I was there. Oh. about what they're doing with safe stations. So they're they're offering people awesome. to, to come off of the streets and get help if you want to and then hooking them up, helping them up with a peer recovery coach who can help them get the help that they need. And then after that step right there and going their, into in the local fire yes. department right there. Anytime, night yes. or day, they can just come into the fire department mm-hmm. and say, I need help. And uh, they've got everything. And they're taking away. Yes. And they're taking away all obstacles to recovery because even the police department, if they have a warrant and it's, you know, a a small warrant, um, they can hold on to that because they're, they're going to know where they are for the next 30 days. So they don't arrest them because you can't arrest your way out of this problem. 
Um, and so they, they get assistance. And then after, after rehab, they have great IOPs, intensive outpatients. They have wonderful sober homes that have programs in place to help them learn how to adult again and, and how to, you know, be responsible and, and sober. Yeah, that was a, a uh, enlightening podcast that we did uh, about a year and a half ago on that. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. you're also involved with the uh, Kerrville uh, Recovery Community Coalition. Would you like to tell us a little bit right. about that program? Sure. So um, a few years ago, I realized that uh, not only did I need to be educated, but I needed to positively plug in somewhere um, to make sure to help other families. And so I applied to sit on our recovery coalition for the city of Kerrville and found a great group of people that are dedicated to helping because Kerrville is unique in that we're surrounded by uh, some really good rehab centers. And so we have a large population of people coming into our community for sober living. And um, this coalition is trying to come up with ways that we can help our recovery co- you know, community just interweave them into the fabric of our community because many of them are going to be wonderful citizens in our town. And so we want to make sure that they're supported in that. Um, and from that, Facing Addictions, we were, we were able to be selected as a city for a communities project. And we're hoping to open a recovery community center where where there are lots of services available for careers or, you know, um, patient treatment or for families or for meetings or for positive social activities. Uh, so we're, we're just now in the initial stages of figuring out, trying to ask our community, what do you need um, to help with this? And so that, that's where I'm coming in. All those aspects are so vital to people in recovery in trying to, you know, climb out and gain their lives back. And so that, that work is just so important. Will you come back and talk to us and share with us what you come up with after you've already, Absolutely. after you've kind of worked this all out? That would be great. Sure. I would love to do that. Absolutely. So you've learned a great deal over the course of this last 10 years after a great deal of tragedy in your life. Um, as you look back on things, what now do you know that you wish you would have known back uh, before mm-hmm. your, uh, your son started struggling with substance use disorder? Um, I think it goes back to my parenting skills and not knowing what I didn't know, um, trying to put your child in this box that you think looks good to the world or is the way that they should go because maybe if they go a different way, it's a scary way. Um, And so, you know, for example, well, I know if you go and try and go to college and be an attorney or a doctor or go into business that you'll have a secure job. Well, my son, Matthew, is extremely artistically gifted. And so not being a parent who totally understood his gifts and how to help him navigate that way and instead trying to, you know, put him into a pathway that I thought looked really good, 
um, or I thought was going to set him up for success in life. Um, so that's why when I changed what I was doing as, as a counselor, it helped me change what I was doing as a parent. And so my other two sons, their, their navigation towards their life has been a lot different. Um, and I, I just wrote a book to help counselors and to help people kind of identify what they like and then follow the breadcrumbs. And the breadcrumbs will take you to where you want to go in life and what fulfills you. And that's the biggest thing is where people get lost is they don't know what is going to fulfill them. What's the name of your book? Um, It's called Curated College. And so it's just um, helping students through a five-step process, which all starts with if you close your eyes and you look at, you know, you envision your life. And everything's come true. What does it look like? And then finding the resources and the people to help you get there. And it's okay if your path changes. But I think that's one of the things that my child and then so many children that I work with, they don't see a path and they don't know where they're supposed to be. And so sometimes just disassociating or taking a time off or smoking weed and not feeling as anxious or depressed. Um, is is something that they start doing and then they have no control over it. And so um, that's that's what I've really tried to do um, in my counseling and then with my own children. So, Doctor, what prevention advice would you have for parents with young high school students today? My biggest piece of advice is get plugged in um, to the meetings that are going on on your child's campus to his teachers. So many parents haven't even seen a report card all year. Um, they don't know what clubs or organizations they're in. And even if their child has some random, exciting, you know, club or habit or, or skill that they want to use, even if it's not in existence, it doesn't mean that it couldn't be with the right teacher sponsor or with the right, you know, direction. Um, it's just kind of listening to your child and getting engaged in, in what they're doing, who they're hanging around, what they're talking about. So if you have, uh, if they're getting together, have them get together at your house so you can hear, you know, what their likes are, what are their plans for the future and then how you can plug them in. So getting yourself plugged in, to your child and their education and their likes, and then also plugging your child into a positive, positive out, you know, something within their school community or their community that they're giving back and they're just growing as, as a person. So that's the biggest thing. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's been a real delight, Dr. Young. Thank you very much. I just can't tell you how much I have learned from what you're doing and how you've impacted our family. And um, I always tell people, you know, there's some gifts in life that we don't, we didn't ask for and we didn't want, but learning to turn those into a way to, to give back. And that is what you've done. And I thank you for that. Well, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. We've been joined today by Tyvee High School counselor, Dr. Kendall Young from Kerrville, Texas. The opioid epidemic, as we heard, impacted Dr. Young both personally and professionally. 
And she turned that around after some hard work over the course of the last 10 years to make a difference, both in her family as well as in her community. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.